and welcome to Animation Skeletonry. Oh, jeez. It's crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. You might try to hide and you might try and pray, but we all end up the remains of the day. I know I did. I'm Matsy. It's corpse. <laughs> and, 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 and I'm Psycha Micah. Uh, on Animation Celery, us two guys, we assign each other cartoons to watch. And then next week, we review and discuss them. Today, we're going to be looking at the spoopy shorts that include The Backwater Gospel, a Bugs Bunny tune called Water, Water, Every Hair, Gandy Goose returns to Animation Celery in G-Man Jitters, and I expose myself to Batman, Piderman, Ghost Knight. First of all, as always, Matsy and I chat. So what is new? Uh, first thing I want to mention is that more episodes of The Ghost and Molly McGee, the g g ghost of and, and Molly McGee have come out. Yeah. And I watched all of them. So now I have a greater sample size to talk about that show. Mm-hmm. And I like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it because I got other stuff. But yeah, that's a worthwhile show. It's just so fun to hear Dana Snyder. He's so funny. And it's mm-hmm. nice to get... It's nice to get the the fun, obnoxious aspects of Master Shake without the not fun, obnoxious aspects of Master Shake. Right. I gotcha. Yeah. So that's pretty good. But also, the main thing is I got a tweet mm. from, I think I'm pronouncing this right, Edion? You know who you are. Uh, Edion tweeted at me, I don't remember if you ever mentioned watching Cupcake and Dino General Services. That is a real good out of nowhere season one, in my opinion. Is it even a thing in Canada? Well, Edion, it's made in Canada. Partially. It's a Netflix original series that is a joint Canadian-Brazilian production. And since he mentioned it, I decided to review it. I picked an episode in season one, and I'm going to talk about it as if you had assigned it to me. Okay. Um, just a real, a real quick idea, uh, idea of what this show is. It's a cartoon about a anthropomorphic cupcake and an anthropomorphic dinosaur who live with their adopted uncle Chance, who is a human who wears a, uh, a paper bag as a hat. Hmm. And uh, they just do general services, odd jobs. Another important character is the mayor, Mayor Vicky. And so bear with me as I review this random episode I picked up out of nowhere. All right, let's do uh, it. him. Yeah. Uh, so these, this is one of those, what what was the term you used? Half-isodes? Half-isodes, yeah. Half-isodes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, half. So yeah, it's two half-isodes. So uh, first part is called Cupcake's Big Surprise. It's Cupcake's birthday, and he's expecting Dino to attempt to throw a surprise party for him. And I say attempt because every year Dino tries to throw a surprise party for him, and every year Cupcake knows the surprise is coming and ruins it. So this year, he's just waiting for the surprise, although Dino tells him that he's so good at foreseeing the surprise that he's decided not even to try this year. But Cupcake isn't convinced, and as the two go through their day of providing general services, he jumps on everything they do, expecting it to be the surprise. But there is no surprise, and just as Cupcake is ready to accept his fate, Mayor Vicky shows up with a surprise. The surprise is a top-secret mission, 
An alien spacecraft has crash-landed at a nearby mountain, and it's Cupcake and Dino's job to investigate for alien life. And naturally, Cupcake thinks this is the catalyst for Dino's surprise party, even though Dino and Vicky desperately try to convey the serious nature of what's going on. Cupcake is only convinced that the danger is real when they reach the ship and a tentacle pops out and abducts Dino. Back aboard Vicky's helicopter, Cupcake can't believe there really is no surprise, and also that he's responsible for putting his brother in mortal danger. But he won't give up. Vicky directs him to the ship's weak point, where he's able to infiltrate and start searching. It isn't long before he finds a horrible, ten-eyed, tentacled creature. He runs at first, but his conscience gets the better of him, and he bravely charges back to face the danger and rescue Dino. But the alien is terrifying, and as Cupcake prepares to accept his fate, Dino reveals that it's a costume with all her friends inside. This is the surprise party. Cupcake is amazed, but also they have to hurry and continue the party outside because this is a real alien ship, and the aliens could be back at any moment. As they leave, Cupcake tells Dino how glad he is to have learned that being surprised is more fun than spoiling surprises for himself. And back inside the ship, an alien with a birthday cake is sorry to have missed the party. I'm looking at these guys. I, yeah, I looked up their images. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I look at I look at Dino. I don't necessarily see dinosaur. <laughs> I kind of see more goldfish cracker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like yeah. Cupcake's monobrow, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's he's the gruff one. Yeah. All right. Well, I so... identify with those characters, so. <laughs> All right. So moving quickly on to the second episode, which is called Growing Pains. Cupcake and Dino are goofing off in Uncle Chance's store when Mayor Vicky comes in to show off her new pet caterpillar, Cassie. Cupcake isn't impressed, but Dino loves the little critter. When he asks Uncle Chance if they can have a pet of their own, Chance is skeptical of their ability to handle such a responsibility, and that challenge gets Cupcake on board. With dubious consent from Vicky, a bargain is struck. If Cupcake and Dino can take care of Cassie for 24 hours, they can have a pet of their own. Chance assures them that he's willing to help, but Cupcake insists that they can handle it. And so, with Cassie in tow, the brothers head out to provide their general services. First, they have to wax the water slides, which they accomplish by riding a sponge down the ride, noting that turn three is dangerously sharp. And then they mow lawns and deliver mail and fluff pillows, and Cassie the caterpillar has fun with them at first, but by the end, she's worn out and cranky. They sneak her back home, because Cupcake doesn't want Uncle Chance to see that they let her get overtired. After listening to Chance offer his help again, Cupcake joins Dino to find that he's successfully lulled Cassie to sleep. But when Vicky calls, the two go and check on Cassie. <gasps> Micah, do you know what happens? <laughs> uh, is it like a cocoon now? Oh, there's a cocoon! Yeah, okay. Where Cassie used to be, and out of that cocoon pops the new Cassie, who is an obnoxious teenage butterfly. Which is pretty funny, actually. Yeah. She wastes no time in messing up the place, lazing around on the phone, and dismissing general services as lame. Then her skater friends come over, and when Cupcake gets on their case for messing up the floor with their skateboards, Cassie takes them to a cooler place to skate. The water slides. 
On the way out to catch her, Dino finally admits to Chance that they need help. The three of them get to the water slides as Cassie is getting ready to skate down. They want to help her, but she correctly points out that Cupcake never asked for help. But when she goes down the slide, she realizes that she's in over her head, especially as that dangerous turn three approaches. Cupcake and Dino follow on their sponge and finally convince Cassie that she needs their help. She jumps on their sponge just in time, and their skate her skateboard rather flies off the sharp turn and explodes in the distance. It's funny, they actually note that. They're like, I don't know why the skateboard exploded. It's almost expected in yeah. this kind of cartoon. If it didn't yeah. explode, it'd be weird. Well, it's also, it's kind of like, um, um, what is that? The Amazing World of Gumball, where it's like live action can be superimposed somewhere. Okay. So it's, so it's like a live action explosion off in the distance. Mm. Anyway, having learned her lesson, Cassie spends her last few hours with the boys hanging out and having fun. And since Cupcake and Dino have learned their lesson about asking for help, Chance is ready to get them their own pet. But the two bail, having lost their taste for that responsibility. Hmm. And so that's the show. It's cute. Right. Yeah, it's a I, cute little show. I kind of like shows that have that sort of premise where the main characters have a different job every week. Oh, yeah, they have multiple jobs. Yeah. Yeah. No, so there you go, Idian. I watched your show and reviewed it. It's all right. Maybe I'll look at a random episode for next week. <laughs> yeah, you can. I I grabbed one from the middle of season one. Mm. Um, you could try season two, see if it evolves. But anyway, mm. what do you have to talk about this week? I got on to DuckTales again. Uh, I still um, need to finish that. Yeah. Well, I'm still, I'm not very far in it as of yet. Mm. Um. However, I did get to one special episode, and in that one, it's the DuckTales characters playing golf, a sport I don't otherwise have any interest in. Oh, right. Yes, I remember that episode. Right, where they end up, uh, Scrooge's ball falls into the Druid Circle that then transports them into the fairy realm to uh, play an enchanted game of golf. Did you say Scrooge? No, Scrooge. <laughs> It really Did sounded he? like it really sounded like Scrooge. You've got Moonmen on the brain. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I like that as I always do the the sports episodes. Um, mm -hmm. And furthermore, not only did it have a sport in it, it also had cute pony girls. It's got yeah. Briar and Bramble, two uh, Kelpies. Yep. That are always trying to lure people into drowning. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this episode has everything. Yeah, um, and, it, and it's yeah. a cute little in-joke that those Kelpies are voiced by uh, two of the voice actresses from My Little Pony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Twilight Sparkle and Fluttershy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, one thing, <laughs> one of the things that kind of has kept me from going hard on DuckTales mm -hmm. is that I can compare it to the original. Mm. And... You know, I, I just need to let the show be its own thing. Yeah. Uh, I think one thing that turns me off a little bit is it's it's a joke factory kind of show, right? I mean, bit. it's 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 got some personal drama in it, too. But um, there's no uh, weight to the danger in the show. In the first episode, Launchpad gets bitten by a whole ton of uh, venomous snakes. <laughs> it kind of sets the tone that, you know. Like, I never thought watching the original DuckTales 
that the nephews were going to watch in horror as Scrooge burned to death in molten gold. But I thought that they presented it in such a way that, you know, they would be harmed at the very least by whatever. There was an adventure and there was danger. Yeah. And this is a different beast. But it's fun to look at. There are laughs in it. I like the characters. Um, Mm -hmm. One thing I was thinking along those lines of there being no real peril in the show that Scrooge's rival Glomgold is useless. <laughs> he's stupid, right? And he's, he's incapable. Yeah. He's in that episode with the golf. Um, and my thought on it, in the, uh, the Karl Barks comics, I understand one of the reasons why Scrooge is still uh, so spry at 100 years old is because he drank from the Fountain of Youth. Okay. Um, so I'm imagining that Glumgold was once a worthy rival to Scrooge, but Scrooge has just watched him grow senile and lame <laughs> over the years, and he just tolerates him out of uh, pity. There, there is an episode that explains Glumgold's backstory. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Actually, they get to to a Doofus's arrival. Mm. Mm, That's yeah. another thing about the show is I think they they tag too much on callbacks. You know, like they, I, I saw the, the terraformians make an appearance and they go to Ithaquack and, mm, you know, I, I kind of got that feeling to some extent too. I think the moment that kind of broke it for me mm-hmm. was in, I think it's in the second season. There was an episode where they were doing a gritty reboot movie of Darkwing Duck. Uh, I called, I think it's called the Duck Knight Returns. Okay. And I kind of, that was the point where I sort of like, cause you know, it was cute. It's like, Oh, there's a can oh, Darkwing duck is a show in this. And Oh, there's a cameo from, or, or a, an implied cameo from the gummy bears. That's cute. Mm. And then when it's like, they have a new Darkwing duck and there's the old Darkwing duck is voiced by Jim Cummings. And it's, it's just kind of it's like, okay, you're calling back a little too much at this point. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, the thing, one of the things that bugged me about Darkwing Duck is that mm. his sidekick Launchpad wears no costume. Yeah. So it kind of defeats the purpose, seeing as how they're good friends in real life, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think that's like a tradition, right? Because uh, I, was, I was watching Casually Comics recently, and she was going over a story where Alfred takes Batman to the doctor. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, not very subtle, guys. Yeah, yeah. Or there well, was a I mean, co- yeah. the, on a broad, on a grander scale, like the whole idea of superhero secret identities is a little bit ridiculous in a lot of cases. Yeah. Like the idea that Dick Grayson puts a thing over his eyes and nobody can tell that it's him. Ha. Huh. You know, the uh, funniest joke from Justice League Unlimited. Did you ever watch that show? I don't think so. There's there's a funny episode where uh, a magical accident switches the minds of the Flash and Lex Luthor, <laughs> and Lex Luthor is trying to bluff his way uh, through being in the Flash's body on the Watchtower base, right? Right. And he's having problems, so he's taking a moment to co- compose himself in the washroom, mm-hmm. and he says like, "Well." If nothing else, I can find out the Flash's secret identity. And he removes his mask and looks in the mirror and he pauses and goes, I have no idea who this is. I did see that. Yeah. Yes. 
I seem to remember, I can't remember where the heck it was, um, but there was some joke thing somewhere where there was like a superhero who like put on his glasses mm. and instantly all of his friends had, they were like, what, where'd he go? He was standing right here. Like they're like instantly completely blind to the fact that he was the same person. Oh, right. There's a tick comic where there's a Superman stand in and uh, his glasses get smashed. And immediately he's got his fingers positioned like glasses to assure somebody comes by. <laughs> there's nothing wrong. You know? That's um, good. Or um, th- this has been addressed in comics over the years. Like uh, one of the, I think it's probably Silver Age Superman. It certainly sounds like it. Is one of the things is that he's secretly hypnotizing everybody. Hmm into accepting his disguise that the glasses actually play a role into his his hypnotic vision. Hmm. Um, But I like instances (laughs) over the years when uh, um, like if Superman puts on a pair of glasses, people ask like, you know, why are you pretending to be Clark Kent? You know, (laughs) that they can't (laughs) tell the difference if the context is. Yeah. Yeah. Or the similarity, I guess. Um, Actually that leads in perfectly because the other thing I've done this week is I watched the old uh, Fleischer Studios slash Paramount Superman cartoons. Oh, wow. Yeah. Have you ever watched those? Mm, when you say it, my instant memory is mm-hmm. the sort of kids don't want to go shopping with their parents' room in Ikea hmm. in um, in one of the suburbs of Vancouver. And like there, there was a ballroom for the really young kids, but for the older kids, there was this room with some arcade machines, some arcade cabinets yeah, and a TV that was just, I guess, playing tapes of crummy cartoons. And I yeah. remember Superman cartoons being among them. Well, this is like wartime Superman. Hmm. I mean, like I said, Fleischer Studios, right? Yeah. And then I guess it transitioned uh, when Fleischer Studios folded the property got picked up by Paramount. Okay. Um, so this, you see it in historians uh, talking about Superman all the time. For one thing, although a friend of ours debated this, uh, some of them will say that this is where Superman first flew hmm. because the animators just found it easier to draw him flying. Okay. Um, and uh, the, the historians will show you two episodes. The first two. It's kind of like, when you read an article about something that you like and you realize, oh, they just watched the first one. Mm. I was amazed that there are over two and a half hours of these cartoons. How long are they each? A standard cartoon kind of length, like six, seven minutes. Huh? Yeah. Like they never repeated these on television and probably because when we were young, uh, maybe DC slash Warner Brothers didn't want it to conflict with Challenge of the Super Friends or whatever. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But this was also the time. This was also the period where they were actively making the live action Superman movies with Christopher Reeve. That's true, too. These days, they would have just pumped it all out. They would have put it all out for DVD oh, yeah. or whatever. I say these days, but I guess they don't. Right. Like mm. they still make DC movies, but they. uh we haven't seen these things. Like, you and I, we never watch these things on television. Mm. I'm just amazed at how many there are. Yeah. Um, and they got to w- work at kind of a breakneck pace. 
you know, to tell a whole Superman story in six or seven minutes. Yeah, true. Uh, but they're good. Uh, the animation quality varies, but usually pretty good and realistic animation, which I guess <clears throat> you wouldn't necessarily see a lot of in those days. Hmm. Uh, like, usually people will thought, like animators would say, this is the bad uh, job. Animating Prince Charming is not interesting because he's so boring. Yeah. And that's kind of what you got here. But there's uh, some really good considerations to the way that Superman does things. Everyone does things, really. But, like, this Superman is way toned down. <laughs> and thank God for that, because I find the idea of a Superman who can lift, you know, four quintillion tons and is faster than the speed of light hard to dramatize in my head. Well, yeah, I mean, that's been the classic uh, criticism of S Superman for ever. Yeah. And, and here his strength varies quite a bit, but he's not like invincible. Like there's an instance where a chunk of uh, hot rock gets ejected by a volcano and he knocks it aside, but it actually incapacitates him for like a dozen seconds or so. Hmm. Or like he's trying to rip a safe door open, but... Uh, He's got no leverage on it, so he's, like, pulling and pulling, and then he puts his foot up, and it takes him quite a few tugs to yank it out. Right. So, he, you know, he's still deflecting bullets and stuff, but he's not quintillion tons kind of strong. Yeah. Also, like, I think that he's just trying to fight in such a way as not to harm people. Mm hmm So, he has good little, like, tussles. There's one instance where all the animals in the circus got loose. And I like the animation for like big cats jumping on him and he's rolling around until he gets them in a hold where he can kind of bums the rest of them back into the cage. Yeah. And then some other creative things that maybe you wouldn't, maybe he's never seen before. Like I think the first episode, uh, there's a villain with a, uh, a laser ray from, you know, like a, a, a big, his whole base is a big cannon that fires on the city. Mm -hmm. And uh, Superman is flying against the ray and punching it to repel it as he goes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if that would have been an idea for people back then. Um, and th there's changes to the storyline too. Like uh, it takes place in Manhattan as opposed to Metropolis. Weird. Yeah. I don't know if it didn't exist yet or what. Um, also, Superman is raised in an orphanage. <laughs> they, mm. When they tell his backstory, the motorist that discovers him just drops him off at the orphanage. <laughs> I guess he didn't tell them, like, I found them in a weird rocket ship or something. But yeah, yeah, yeah. They never, they never get into that. Like I said, the stories are quick. Um, yeah. uh, Lois Lane is strange in it because she's very capable and yet reckless enough that it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, uh, the first time, the first storyline, she ditches Clark, right? Because they're trying to one-up each other. Yeah. And... The next thing you see, she's putting on an aviator's cap and flying an airplane herself to go there, right? <laughs> or like there's an instance where uh, some bad guys have like an armored supercar and they're trying to take down a train full of gold. Mm -hmm. And she takes over running the locomotive, uh, <clears throat> like keeping it going while taking breaks once in a while to fire a machine gun out the window. <laughs> like I said, she, she's, she's sort of cool or like when the volcano erupts. She's not entirely hopeless. She's uh, she's climbing hand over hand on the cable car cable to get away mm. or, you know, like doing incredible uh, deft moves, running along girders and stuff to get away from thugs. But like I say, she still needs Superman 
because she is uh, totally uh, reckless. Like <laughs> when she sees a killer robot, she sneaks aboard, you know, <laughs> she's got to get so, the scoops. Right, right. And they don't have any romance, which I think is interesting, too. So they sort of give her some respect hmm. as compared to what Lois Lane turns into in the comics after this point. That's um, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing I thought was really weird about it is most of the villains are kind of just schmoes, right? They're, or even when they're not, they're like, you know, a scientist or whatever. Uh, until Paramount takes over, they never name them. Hmm. It, it's just Clark, Lois, uh, their editor, Perry. And then like at the at the end, after Superman's finished, the uh, Daily Planet paper comes up to show you what, uh, like the summary. Mm-hmm. And it'll just say like uh, inventor sent to jail. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of weird. They don't name him. It's like it's pretty stark when you see that transition and they start naming uh, tertiary characters. Yeah. Um, I mean, speaking I, of, I don't know that I could name a Superman villain other than Lex Luthor. Really? None of them. I mean, maybe if you said them, I'd go, oh, right. Well, him. Uh, Bizarro. Oh, right. Well, him. Um, Metallo. Don't know. Um, that one, I might need to see a picture and go, oh, right. Him. Well, but okay. probably probably Zod, you know, because they keep pumping him in the movies. Oh, yeah. OK. Yeah. Uh, Doomsday. Oh, Dooms. Yeah, sure. Um, let's see. Parasite, probably don't know. Mm. Toy is, Man. <laughs> is Darkseid yeah. Superman? Okay, there's one. Uh, yeah, D-A-R-K-S-E-I-D. Uh, yeah. You know what's uh, we weird? Should, it's yeah. weird that there's like, you're so hard pressed to name somebody that superman fights and a lot of them seem to be aliens or from other dimensions makes sense and then, and then you go down to the road in the same canon to gotham city and it's just chock-a-block with every villain there's a guy okay. who likes clocks there's a guy who thinks he's king tut there's a guy who was an accident <laughs> and now he's frozen like it's crazy and then just in metropolis it's like oh nothing ever happens to everybody or except aliens right well, if if you go by this cartoon, it's Manhattan, and there's plenty of schmoes with machine guns. But yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's funny. I, I'm sure a lot of people were screaming at us, uh, "Brainiac, Brainiac!" Huh. <laughs> In terms of uh, Superman arch nemeses. Yeah. But some maybe sometime we should watch. Maybe this will conjure your memory. Uh, one of the Super Friends shows. Two of them, I think, actually. Uh, Dark Side is the main villain. Mm-hmm. And almost every episode, he goes through his boom tube, and the boom tubes in that version made a star-shaped portal that he and Calabac and all his various minions would run into with, like, Darkseid turning to shake his fist at the super friends. <laughs> like, ooh, how dare you? I was going to marry Wonder Woman. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> we should check that out sometime, but... Uh, no, why not? Uh, first, I... <sighs> Oh, I don't know. It's pretty scary, but we should uh, look at the cartoons for this week. Yeah. Scary cartoons. Oh, no. Mm. Uh, okay. Well, let's start with the first one that you gave me. Okay. It's something called The Backwater Gospel. It's directed by Bo Mathorn from a company called The Animation Workshop from 2011. So here's the story with this one. 
An accident on the power lines leading into the desolate town of Backwater shows us that a man named the Undertaker, not the wrestler, who may be of supernatural in origin, he comes to claim the dead in this town. So now that we have that established, we see the town proper. And there's a one-legged man known as the Tramp singing about the Undertaker. As he sings from the church, the minister and his giant helper Bubba ring the church bell to summon the townsfolk for his sermon. They all trudge to the church obediently, except the tramp, who doesn't move from his spot. And when the minister calls out for him to submit to the Lord, the tramp scoffs and retorts, Why don't you try it? The minister, apparently, has had his problems with the tramp's perceived sacrilege, and his sermon is all about one bad apple spoiling the barrel and casting that bad apple out. But the sermon is interrupted when the tramp knocks on the window and joyfully reports that the undertaker is coming. The townspeople panic, including the loyal Bubba, each not wanting to be the one the undertaker is coming for. And they all flee the church to hole up in their homes. For a full week, they remain fearful, some cowering, some drinking, some praying, some readying weapons to fight if someone comes for them. But for seven days, the Undertaker simply sits at the well at the middle of town, waiting. Finally, the minister rings the church bell again, and even with the Undertaker in town, the people head to the church. Their fear of God is stronger than their fear of the Undertaker. The minister asserts that the Undertaker's visit is a test from the Lord, inflicted upon them because the tramp lacks the proper fear of God. With the weary and fearful townspeople worked into a frenzy, he declares that the blasphemous tramp must be stoned to death. The result isn't as funny as when John Cleese does it. <laughs> the mob chases the crippled tramp until he falls before the Undertaker, and they cast their stones with the monstrous Bubba finally crushing his head. They expect the Undertaker to claim the tramp's body, but he doesn't move. And when a sudden rainstorm begins, the fear finally breaks the crowd, and they lash out against each other. They don't, don't want to be the dead one the Undertaker takes. They slaughter each other horrifically. Even Bubba turns on the minister, who shoots his servant as the giant crushes the preacher's head beneath a huge wooden cross. And the next morning, in the cheerful daylight, the Undertaker finally rises and whistles happily as he begins his grim work of measuring an entire town of corpses for their caskets. <laughs> so, this is an interesting little thing. Yeah. It, it looked, the look of it, two things came to my mind as I was watching it. Mm -hmm. One, the cartoon band Gorillas, and two, the video game Don't Starve. Ah, I thought you were going to say Borderlands. Um, the, you know what? The, the town itself did remind me of Borderlands, especially seeing, um, the Tramp's little hovel. Like that really looked like a Borderlands settlement. Yes. Hmm. Um, but I think if you take, take the character design of gorillas, yeah. animate it like don't starve and dip the whole thing in black ink, yeah. then you kind of <laughs> end up with, uh, this backwater gospel. I like the way that looks, the way yeah. the textures, the rendering that includes those black lines that end up being like 
the way you would draw it with a with a pen, the wrinkles and the the cracks and all that stuff. Yeah, and um, it's three dimensional too. Like the yes, you know, it's not like just a, a flat cutout. Like no. if you look at them, their face head on, like it can move from side to side, like a poly- polygonal thing. I feel that even the timing of it evokes like a two D sensibility, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's it, it has a really it's a really striking look. Um, the story is dark obviously yeah um you there you could interpret it in a number of ways it kind of looks to me like that the idea of people who what is, there was somebody who said lord save us from the people who would inflict their will on us in this world for what they think they know about the next hmm and i'm kind of thinking that like the idea that you know it People who can who think that they know exactly the way that the world should be and go to extreme lengths to force that on other people. Hmm. Although I would say the preacher's kind of in he just doesn't have the venue, but he's kind of doing the same thing. Or the brother, the uh, the tramp. He's, he doesn't have the uh, the church, but he's kind of doing the same thing. Well, yeah, he, now, he kind of. I I kind of just took it as a straight ghost story kind of tale. Mm-hmm. Sure. And then, then I was looking at IMDb trivia and it suggested that the tramp is supposed to be Jesus and the preacher is supposed to be the Antichrist. Huh? And at first, yeah, at first I was thinking, I don't really feel it. But uh, some support on that is uh, that when the tramp is crushed, he falls in a spread out cross crucifixion pose. Okay. And the preacher... Uh, his piety is kind of dubious because his Bible is just a gun holster. That's a good point. Yes. He does keep his gun in the Bible. Yeah. And I was thinking that the, the preacher, rather the, the, the tramp is kind of, kind of a jerk, right? <laughs> like he shows up and taps on the window to taunt them, you know? But then I was thinking, yeah, that's pretty Jesus-like, <laughs> you know, that, mm. uh, before his crucifixion, Jesus is just kind of egging on the people, right? <laughs> like, hey, take a look. I'm riding a donkey in from this side. How do you like them apples, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I can kind of see it. Yeah, I suppose. There's, well, there's a, I, I guess there's a number of different ways that you could interpret it, which is great. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's a ghost story. It's, you know, grisly. The people move like zombies, even when they're alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the Undertaker is a scary figure. His shadow has big wings like an angel or mm. or a vulture, if you prefer. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's it's a good spooky cartoon, I think. And it it makes you think. Yeah. As I watched it again, I kind of wished that the preacher had survived mm. in the sense that kind of like life isn't fair. And plus... The longer he'd have held out against the uh, madness of the crowd, the more you'd have identified with and rooted for him. <laughs> I mean, he, he almost makes it. Um, yeah, almost. But do you really want him to make it, though? Uh, it'd be kind of like um, uh, Steve Buscemi surviving Reservoir Dogs, I guess. You know? You, you know what I would have liked? What? Is if, like, everybody in town is dead except the preacher. Yeah. And then it turns out that the preacher is the one the Undertaker's there for. Oh. 
Like he survives yeah. it all, but then the Undertaker just takes him. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Here we are <laughs> rewriting somebody else's cartoon. Sure, sure. I'll tell you <laughs> a funny note from the beginning of the cartoon when the church bells ring and people kind of stagger toward the church. I was thinking that uh, Leon Kennedy avoided <laughs> the mob. <laughs> you know, where's everybody going? Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you find this anyway? Uh, I mean, it's on YouTube. Anybody can watch it. You just search for it and you'll find it. Um, but how did it come into your field of view? It's just, well, it's just me when we have a theme like this, just doing searches, you know, mm. scary cartoons. And that means I have to go through a lot of chaff to find wheat. Because <laughs> I find a lot of modern, especially like, I, I was going to say especially student projects, but I think just broadly shorts. A lot of the shorts that you find, that I find, are very thin, you know? Yeah. Like, to their discredit, they've kept the idea too simple. You know, like, oh, I get it. That's a metaphor for imagination, you know, mm -hmm. or whatever. So most of them I don't find there's enough to talk about or that I like enough. Yeah. Uh, so... I guess that's the answer. The answer is I watched a lot of spooky shorts that I just kind of found I didn't like enough or, you know, I put in the back pocket in case I didn't find anything better. So And this was the good one. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. I thought no, at the very I... least. Yeah. It looked interesting enough that us talking about it would be a good thing if other people checked it out. Yeah, sure. If you want something kind of scary to watch for the Halloween times, go ahead and look it up. It's the Backwater Gospel. Easily available on YouTube. Damn. Now, speaking of water. <laughs> yeah. Let's what if back that water... door into this. Yeah. What if that water was water everywhere or every hair? Yeah. We're looking at Water, Water, Every Hair, a uh, Warner Brothers cartoon directed by Chuck Jones in 1952. Woo! Uh, so it begins and a downpour floods Bugs Bunny's rabbit Warren while he's asleep, but he's such a sound sleeper that he only half wakes up to ironically get a drink of water and then returns to bed. The flow of water takes the sleeping rabbit and his mattress above ground and toward an eerie castle with a flashing neon sign that warns mad scientist boo <laughs> inside a small bodied, large headed, Green Man laments the lack of a living brain for his giant robot. Just then, he spies Bugs floating by and saves him with a fishing line from going over a waterfall. Bugs wakes up in terror at the sight of a mummy, the scientist, a pharaoh statue, and then the robot. I guess the uh, scientist has a thing for ancient Egypt. <laughs> when Bugs Bunny runs away, the scientist unleashes a hairy orange monster named Rudolph. Now, in a later cartoon, this monster is renamed Gossamer. Mm. I think if you know Warner Brothers, you probably know what uh, giant hair monster with sneakers we're talking about. Yeah. So after avoiding falling into a spiked pit, Bugs is confronted by Rudolph. Thinking quickly, the rabbit employs classic cartoon panache by pretending to be a hairdresser so convincingly that the monster goes along with it. He sets up a permanent for his hairdo, but the hair curlers are actually dynamite sticks. This allows Bugs to inflict some pain and run away. And surely this is the most memorable part of this cartoon. 
where Bugs is putting on his uh, hairdresser character, like, such an interesting monster should have an interesting hairdo. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure everybody can imagine him combing the hair each way into, like, these fluffy curls on either side. My stars that'll never hold. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So the ensuing chase leads to a potion room. Bugs spots vanishing fluid and use uh, its use as literal, turning the bunny invisible. This allows him to get the upper hand on Rudolph, first cramming a garbage pail over his head, striking it with a hammer, pulling the rug out from under him, and then using another potion, reducing oil, to shrink the monster to the size of a mouse. He puts on his hat and jacket and carries a briefcase and valise as though his workday is done, then evicts a mouse from his mouse hole. While reveling in victory, Bugs eats a visible carrot and betrays his position. It allows the scientist to make him visible again by pouring hair restorer on him. Yeah. Yeah. The mad little man throws an axe at Bugs, but ends up breaking a giant vial of ether. The gas makes the two engage in a slow-motion, gravity-defying chase. <laughs> when Bugs trips the scientist, he lands gracefully and succumbs to sleep. Bugs then saunters off, still under the effects of the ether, and he returns to his rabbit hole, and he goes back to sleep. Again in his bed and underwater, he awakes with a start and convinces himself that he was only dreaming, until the miniature Rudolph rows by in a small boat and counters, Oh yeah, that's what you think! <laughs> yeah. So, uh, this is one of those cartoons that I think you kind of get mixed up with other cartoons that are similar. I did. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, were, you like, think, hmm? were you thinking that, were you meshing it? There's another one that has a mad scientist who's got like a little colander on his head or something like that. He's got like a goofy little metal hat. Um, and I think maybe the same one where he makes the robot rabbit that lures bugs there. Yes, I think that was that was the one because the, the title that was in my mind was something along the lines of hair raising hair. Right. Um, and so I went and watched that. And or was that I the one with the I, vampire? I don't remember because I well, I didn't watch all of it. I just kind of watched okay. the beginning and went, yeah. no, no, this isn't it. And then I mm. did some more searching and like because because. The title Water, Water, Every Hair doesn't really tell you that it's going to be about a mad scientist. No, um, it's like somebody only watched the first 30 seconds. <laughs> so what happened was I I looked up Gossamer, I think, on Wikipedia and looked yeah. at the and as soon as I saw the water, I was like, because I remembered that the cartoon started with bugs floating on a water. Right, right. It's like, oh, that's probably it. And then I watched it and I was like, yeah, yeah, this is it. It has some of the same gags in it, too, actually. Like where, oh, yeah? where Bugs goes to the edge of a pit and stops, and then he backs up on his toes while praying. <laughs> Same animation? Yeah, <laughs> well, it's, it's not like, you know, they reused the exact scene, but okay. like they've, they've reanimated the same gag. Hmm. What's that? Uh, there's a term for it in, in modern parlance uh, for media... That gives you a relaxed feeling. It's not ASMR, but you know what? It's like, um, it's mm. it's like videos of people doing things that feel right. You know, like plugging things in that fit just nicely, or oh. snipping things with scissors, or yeah, you know what I mean. Um, 
satisfying. Something about satisfying. Right. I feel like this cartoon has a bunch of that, <laughs> whether it's bugs floating down the river mm. or um, or it's the ether chase, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or just like the him pushing the sides of Rudolph or Gossamer's hair down. Yeah. Into these two. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's one of those things, you know, because you and I have seen this cartoon a million times. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, as soon as you see it, it's like, yep, I remember this. I remember him throwing that axe. I remember all yes. the funny <laughs> names of the potions. Um, I remember the the um, the scary looking pharaoh sarcophagus. All that stuff. It all just floods back to you when you see it. Isn't it weird that the robot you only see for like three shots? Yeah. <laughs> Two maybe even. Yeah, kind of. Never. Yeah. It's almost like it was designed from moment to moment, you know, mm. and then this happens and then that happens. But, you know, memorable stuff. The ether chase. Perfect. <laughs> and that and that the scientist's voice. Um, apparently, this is uh, Mel Blanc based this voice on Boris Karloff. I don't think that's him. I think that's another person who's uncredited. Huh. Well, I guess it's possible. Hmm. But yeah, his voice is like delays, delays, nothing but delays. Like just these or bring him back to me and I will reward you with a spider goulash. Yeah, he looks funny, too. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Actually, I think sometimes we talk about these cartoons. I say that they feel thin, you know, like that they're just um, Mm. a chase, you know, and then it's just a few different gags and they're not, there's not that much. I guess this cartoon doesn't though, right? Because it begins with that. You you can say there's that part with the flooding at the beginning and then the part with, with uh, Rudolph, the hair monster chasing bugs and him dealing with him. And then the, the mad scientist in the slow motion chase, there's kind of a lot of stuff in this, uh, seven minute cartoon you know it's interesting that you say that because after i watched it i thought not a lot really happened like it's huh it's memorable and yeah. I, I guess it's just a, a a function of how long the cartoon is yeah but it's just it feels like you know there's just the basically bugs outwits rudolph twice once with yeah. the hairdresser and once with the reducing oil there's a very brief encounter with the scientist which involves the scientist throwing a axe and then the two of them getting dosed with ether and then it's just kind of over but even though there's not a lot of distinct things that happen the the stuff that happens during those periods like that like you said the ether chase yeah you know it's it's easy for me to dismissively say he you know he breaks an ether bottle and then they eventually get on their way but it's extended out into this funny, you know, he trips and kind of floats down and shrugs to the camera and folds his arms and just goes nighty night. Yeah. And I love that the ether affects gravity too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm pretty sure when I was a kid, I didn't know what ether was. Oh, you know, I, well, I didn't probably didn't know is used for doing things like a, a killing butterflies and preserving their beauty. <laughs> but uh, I can't think contextually from cartoons. I understood what it did. Yeah. Whereas uh, I think it's alum. You know, when somebody takes alum and their head shrinks oh, in cartoons. Oh, yes, yes. 
I'm, I'm not really sure what that is. <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah, I haven't thought about that in 30 years, but that's a good question. Yeah, Someone, it's probably some, maybe it's something we discovered was poisonous and we no longer, <laughs> we no longer just use to shrink our heads. Somebody but, <laughs> tweeted us and tell us what alum is. Yeah, or we could look it up with our magic machines. Yeah, but, but no, I want somebody else to do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah, um, not bad. Uh, but you know, I think there's more to explore with cartoon characters going to spooky places. Yeah, that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. How about Gandy Goose? You remember him? He's a goose from the, you know, the cartoons. Anyway, this is G-Man <laughs> Jitters. Uh, G-Man is like a government agent. And I guess in this, they're kind of... It, I actually looked this term up. Mm-hmm. And this this cartoon's from 1939, which is like right around the time that the term G-Man first started showing up. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really fit with the Sherlock Holmes thing, but it doesn't. No, um, I, I was when you gave me that title, I was like, "What is this going to have to do with Halloween?" You know, maybe it was just uh, the hot term at the time. You know, you know, you know what? Was, like, that's probably it. Yeah, like because there was a gangster who said, "Like, don't shoot G-men or something like that," and that's anyway. Let's talk about Gandy Goose, the original G-man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right, so young Gandy Goose here is reading detective stories, and he imagines being one himself. He doesn't have a pipe, though. But in good old cartoon logic, the picture of Sherlock Holmes in his book advises him to borrow his father's pipe. So Gandy sneaks the pipe from his sleeping father's lips, dangerous, falling asleep (laughs) with a pipe in your mouth, and begins smoking while looking through his magnifying glass on his floor for clues. But of course, in a rudimentary 1930s attempt to discourage children from smoking until they're at least 16, Gandhi gets dizzy and fades into a tobacco-fueled dream sequence. It's one of those rare cartoons where they actually show you that it's a dream. Oh, right, right. Yeah. So As opposed to him waking up or whatever after. Yeah, yeah. It was all a dream. So while he's looking for clues outside in his dream, he encounters Mrs. Jones, She's interested in his new profession as a detective and tells him that she's heard strange noises in her house. She leads him in and directs her ghost butler to show Gandhi to his room. This doesn't actually scare Gandhi. He's just takes it as a yeah. butler. Yeah. He's a good detective. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he really is just an observer in this cartoon for the most part. Yeah. Uh, they take a, they take a classic old timey cartoon spider with gloves and shoes as a sort of elevator or video game moving platform across the house to a bedroom. (laughs) It's funny how he's like, he's come in to investigate and now he's just a house guest. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, did you notice Gandhi's upside down bed? Yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah, The bed's upside (laughs) down. He just lays down on it. Yeah. Um, he tries to relax, but before before he can really fall asleep on his upside down bed, um, a non butler ghost appears from a trapdoor and spooks Gandhi. As he tries to flee, his bedroom door won't open. But he's a detective, so he uses his magnifying glass to look in the keyhole. But while he's looking, a mysterious hand points a gun at him, which turns out to be a trick gun with a cuckoo inside. 
And then the entire floor slides away, and his entire door slides down the wall to a lower level. There, he encounters more ghosts, playing the piano and singing Coming Through the Rye, which is spooky because the lyrics involve a body meeting a body. Hmm. Now a Frankenstein emerges from a door and follows Gandhi, who I guess is now investigating a Dracula. Nice. Gandhi doesn't seem to care about the two ghouls, and instead inspects a hole in the stairs, which is, as I'm, <laughs> as I'm saying it out loud, it's pretty funny. The two monsters take their turns looking through Gandhi's magnifying glass, and in classic chaotic jerk Gandhi fashion, he kicks the vampire in the butt, sending both literary monsters bowling into the ghosts at the bottom of the stairs. <laughs> the ghost butler advises Gandhi to run, and a chase ensues. Gandhi manages to elude the ghastly horde by putting on the skull from a skeleton he bumps into and directing the monsters away from him. But then he runs afoul of a classic haunted house set of stairs that turns into a slide, from which his undead pursuers then emerge. Meanwhile, a mouse terrifies the sleeping Mrs. Jones, which at first makes you think it's a 1930s woman joke. Mm. And it makes you wonder why she's scared of a mouse and not the ghosts and goblins living in her house. Yeah. But when she runs into Frank and his friends, she runs from them too. So she's scared of them. And the monsters run from the mouse, which is the ultimate spook. By the way, I'm on bed watch. Did you notice Mrs. Jones' incredibly uncomfortable looking bed? What was up with that bed? It was like, <laughs> it's just it's just a frame. There's no mattress. It's just like planks that she's sleeping on. It was like if Tim Burton did a stop motion Little Nemo. Yeah. Oh, uh, where was I? Okay, yeah. So there's there's a mini version of the old gag where different sets of people run and chase each other each other through different doors in a hallway. But basically, everyone is running from the mouse. But Gandhi is chasing it. The ultimate climax has Gandhi catch the mouse. Mrs. Jones and the nasties inhabiting her house are brought together in cheering Gandhi for eliminating the greater threat. <laughs> but when Gandhi leaves, he just tosses the mouse back over his shoulder into the house. And now, Mrs. Jones and the nasties are united in pursuit of Gandhi. And in the commotion... He finally comes to back in his bedroom. His father enters the smoke-filled room. They would never get away with this today, not because of the tobacco. They would think it was something else. And when Gandhi attempts to lie about his just barely underage smoking, mm. his dad smashes the bad influence of a detective book over his head. And this allows the concussed Gandhi to leave us with his trademark laugh. So this is actually a pretty good, like, haunted house cartoon, I feel, um, for showing off various, <laughs> like, <laughs> classic gags in a, in a, in a, in a haunted house, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I like all the madhouse stuff in it. The spider, the door that falls away. It's kind of like a Dragon's Lair video game, you know? But I guess the classic thing, you know, where yeah, yeah. everything makes you slide and tumble and... There's a menagerie of weird monsters. Yeah, and it doesn't have to make sense because you know it's a dream. Like, you don't have to think about it. It's just, I mean, you can. You can think, like, why is Gandhi 
all of a sudden following a vampire who wasn't there before. And why doesn't he care when he just looks at the two monsters and is like, oh, but here's something really important. This hole. But, you know, well, I think that's that, that's just a truth for him, whether he's asleep or not, though. But you know what? As I say that out <laughs> yeah. loud, maybe yeah. he's actually the ultimate detective because maybe he is already onto the idea that there's a mouse. Like there's oh all these goodness. ghosts and, and, you know, creatures and stuff. And he's like, oh, well, these guys are harmless, but I'm following mouse droppings. And look at this hole. Something something's <laughs> there's vermin in this house. I got to get to the bottom of this. Now that I'm si- I didn't even think about that until just now. But now that I'm saying it <laughs> from that view, Gandhi actually looks really competent. Oh, I imagine if we summon the ghost of the director, he'd go. Nah, we just made this in a week. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I like all the gags. I like, um, I like that old timey spider. I just love that, you know, like the, the little like cat muzzle and a big nose and big gloves and shoes. Like it just looks like a classic cartoon spider, you know? Like I, I recently watched the skeleton dance, the classic uh, Disney cartoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's a spider in that that looks like a big furry, like more slightly more realistic spider in that it doesn't have gloves and shoes. And I'm like, it's just not the same. I like the candy <laughs> spider better. Silly Symphony's uh, skeleton dance does have a good. Um, the cats are pretty good in that, I think. though. They're OK. I'm rather amazed that neither of us was basic enough to pick that for each other. Oh, I thought of it. (laughs) We we both watched it, though. (laughs) Yeah, we did, yeah. It's, for those who don't know, it's just a 1929 uh, black and white cartoon, which is basically just some skeletons dancing in the night. Yeah, surely everybody, even millennials, have seen that. It's got to have been, like, in a montage. It might have been, like, in in, uh, Malcolm in the Middle's opening credits or something. Oh, maybe. I mean, (laughs) I was thinking this is exactly the kind of thing that would have shown up in the baby's imaginations in uh, Muppet Babies. Right, right. Hmm. So, yeah, G-Man Jitters. Um, Gandy Goose is kind of an unsung cartoon hero, but um, for a black and white 1939 ghosty cartoon... This one's pretty good. This is pretty hmm. high up the list. I mean, I I haven't watched a whole ton of really scary first half of the ni- uh, 20th century cartoons, but I have to imagine that this would stay near the top of my list if I made such a list. This is surprising a few of them, even though it's a cliche for us now. Mm, mm, mm. Like, I, I scoured... Uh, Popeye and Betty Boop looking for stuff like this and I couldn't really find it. I seem it. to remember a Popeye or Betty Boop. I can't remember, but there was like a spooky like haunted house style thing. Maybe you saw it. Hmm. Um, but yeah, this is all right. I appreciate watching okay. this. Now, all right. since we're talking about uh, stalking through haunted houses, hmm. um, maybe you have some heroes who can save us from haunted houses. The best heroes, Batman and Piderman. I'm going to be talking about a cartoon of theirs called Ghost Night. It was created by Lindsay Small and Alex Butera. It's actually a series of webtoons created by them. The two creators later merging their names in marriage to Small Butera. But their couple name is Small Boo with an umlaut. Hmm. 
These are simple cartoons wherein parodies of Batman and Spider-Man, cleverly renamed Batman and Piderman, are neighbors and friends, and they engage in acti activities and solve problems that range from the surreal to the banal. There's a third recurring character, Pumpkin, a pumpkin-headed person, and he's featured in this cartoon. So is another odd character, a mass of green tentacles called Squib, and there's a differently hued variant of it called Red Squib. So the story proper begins. Uh, it's the beginning uh, of Ghost Night, and Pumpkin, restless from nightmares, rolls out of bed. He has himself a bath and plays with his origami critters. One of the paper cranes seems to fly on its own, but the reflection in the mirror reveals that it is held by a ghost. Pumpkin runs away and seeks comfort in the tentacled embrace of Squib. Eerie theremin music plays in the credits, but it turns out to be Batman, or sorry, Batman, vocalizing. He heads over to Piderman's house to sing it for his friend, but Piderman is reluctant to hear spooky music because it's almost the night times. In the next instant, it is the night times and everything goes dark. The two experiment with the darkness and get a jump scare from Red Squib. Pumpkin and Green Squib then arrive and wordlessly communicate their terror. The four investigate Pumpkin's haunted bedroom. By the way, it's Pumpkin without a P, a second P that is, in case I'm saying it wrong sometimes. Pumpkin. Yeah. The bed bumps on its own and then flips over to reveal a trap door. Further poltergeist effects block the door and float objects around the room. Squib decisively takes Piderman down the trap door with Batman in tow by webline, and then Pumpkin jumps in afterward. In the lower chamber, they see a creepy portrait. Behind the portrait is a secret passage. A strange wheeled device or creature rolls up, and a bop of Batman's fist makes it light up. He holds it as a flashlight as the four proceed down the dark hall. Squib and Pumpkin get sucked into hidden doors, and during a blackout, Batman disappears too. A note appears before the remaining member, and it asks for forgiveness for scaring Piderman, and if it can stay at this house. The meek superhero agrees, and so manifests the ghost as a strange blue girl in a dress. She carries Piderman through the floor and out of the scary chamber. Piderman's friends, on the other hand, are deposited into a cell and forced to attend a tea party of those guys. Batman, those guys. Yeah. Batman and Piderman doppelgangers. And that's this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of weird. It, well, okay, let me tell you. My first exposure to Batman and Piderman, this was years ago. Uh, Raven's little sister. Uh, for whatever reason, I was reading her creative writing assignment for high school. And it featured Batman and Piderman. And I thought, mm -hmm. wow, this is clever. <laughs> <laughs> Little did you know it was plagiarism. Yeah. Believe it or not, a, a teenager wrote something derivative in school. Um, but yeah, I found out about, out about it later. But you know what? I never checked it out. Mm. I only heard about it. So watching this, I was really going in blind. 
All, yeah. all I knew is that these were, you know, parodies where they omitted a letter from each of their names. From now, did you did you just watch this cartoon or did you watch other Batman Piderman's leading up to it? I watched this cartoon first. Okay. And then I watched others for context. Okay. Like I thought, <laughs> well, here's the funny thing. So this cartoon begins with Pumpkin getting out mm-hmm. of bed and having a bath and so on. And Pumpkin is orange, right? Yeah. So my first thought was, wow, they are really trying hard not to use the likeness of Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> And then I realized, oh, it's a different character, right? And I, I saw episodes that gave context to who that character was. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I figured it out before the thing was over, of course. He's in scenes with everyone else. But, yeah. Um, you know, this is it's pretty funny. It's I like the dumpy, doofy designs mm-hmm. of, ba- of Batman and Spider-Man. Yep. And, you know, to me, this car- these cartoons, I should say, they feel kind of like Richard Condy animation. Sure. Yeah, except everyone speaks like Homestar Runner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, is, is, that's true. Um, I like that Spider or um, Batman rather. His yeah. <laughs> the way he moves is very fluid. Like he probably I was going to say he rolls everywhere. <laughs> well, his body is just uh, um, amorphic. Like there was one of the first cartoons I saw was he was having dinner with his girlfriend i guess who is a tuba yeah and oh okay and he like spider-man or spider-man calls him over and he (laughs) he goes out the window and i watched him go head first out the window and then you know his cape and bottom half goes and then his head shows up again at the bottom of his bottom half and then his head shows up a third time on his bottom half and i went what what and I went back and watched and like, yeah, no, that head shows up three times. And that's just a power that Batman has. There was one where they have a couch that's cut in half and yeah. Batman enters the scene by various parts of him just falling out of that couch and forming into Pyreman from the blob. Uh, yeah. In correct me if I'm wrong, but in in Ghost Knight, when he enters Pyreman's home. He's rolling and tumbling in, and he actually knocks off his leg and then stands up afterward mm-hmm. with his with his leg back. Yeah. I'm sure he does. Like there was like yeah. you know, I remember another one where he's just sitting there with like this pile of hands, like Batman hands in front of him, and he's just putting them on the same arm over and over again. And the pot his he's not getting more hands; it just keeps going on the existing one, and the pile's not getting yeah. any smaller. Like he's just amorphic. Like his body makes no sense and that's okay kind of calls in calls into question that when they're testing out the uh, nighttime darkness mm-hmm. he puts his hand in and then he brings it out and it's gone but he's actually got his hand sucked into his arm and he pops it out exactly <laughs> and uh yeah a piderman i guess shouldn't have been that freaked out by it considering yeah, yeah. all the stuff this guy does but you know i like piderman too mm. uh in, you don't get a sense of it in this one, but in other cartoons, I like the total lack of impact that his web slinging does. Yeah. Where he shoots, he shoots a line and it's just like, bleh, you know, it just, just yeah, flicks out. There are, there are episodes where he moves that way, where he's just laying on the floor and he just lifts his hand and shoots a web at like the ceiling and just kind of drags forward on his front, like, <laughs> and just like kind of slides around the room by like 
<laughs> it's kind of like the way that Spider-Man swings around the city, except yeah. that he's laying on the floor the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I like that he's cowardly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's he's totally meek. Actually, you know, another good uh, Spider-Man parody. Did you ever see on Conan O'Brien when they were making fun of the Spider-Man musical? <laughs> I don't think so. They did it like a, uh, well, like a musical, all those tropes, right? So like mm-hmm. Spider-Man would appear and he'd have a hat that he would have like pulled down over his face. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but in those, he's a coward too. So when Dr. Octopus makes his uh, entrance to the stage, Spider-Man is like wringing his hands and going, ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's kind of influenced by Batman and Spider-Man. Maybe they ripped this off. Yeah. Um, um, these two yeah, animators, um, um, small boo. Yeah. Um, one of the things, one of the things that's really fun about watching Batman Piderman mm-hmm. is watching the development in the credits. Okay. Cause it starts with by Alex Butera at alexbutera.com. And then it becomes Alex Butera with help from Lindsay small. Oh, and right. It, and then Lindsay and Alex.com. And eventually by Alex Butera and Lindsay Small. Yeah. And finally, by Alex and Lindsay Small Butera. It's just by watching the credits of these cartoons, like you can see their relationship blossom. Yeah. Um, what a power couple. Yeah. Well, they are like they're great animators. Hmm. I first found them when they animated a bit from a podcast um, called My Brother and My Brother and Me. Um, but they have, they've got a lot of great stuff. They have, they have a little recurring series called Daffodil about a little dog. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really good. <laughs> There's one where the dog Daffodil and her snake friend, it was, it's so funny. She's talking about like when, when it comes to the late eighties, early nineties boys, <laughs> you have to pick a Treyu because a Treyu <laughs> has everything you get adventure, you get a horse and at this point, the snake kind of goes, well, and then daffodils and you get, oh, my God, I forgot the horse. <laughs> it's, it's really funny. They have you know, also, that movie. Hmm? That, that movie makes me mad. Yeah. When uh, when I've already talked about how I, I want to, like, steal Bastion's lunch money. <laughs> 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 when Bastion inserts himself over a tray you at the end, I'm so mad. <laughs> <laughs> Um, small boo, um, they did. So not too long ago, incredibly, uh, on Homestar runner, they have a, a flash platform game called 20 XD six about anime, um, strong bad. And they recently updated it despite the fact that flash is kind of dead Mm. and they small boo did an opening cutscene, huh. um, featuring anime versions of like, you know, most of the, a lot of the straw, uh, the, the Homestar Runner characters have anime versions, you know, like Homestar Runner is one up and Pom Pom yeah. is a panda named Pan Pan. They were tasked with making an anime version of Marzipan. Oh, huh. who is, she just kind of looks like a bell. Like she's has this, this round dress bottom and then like a stick, like a broom for a head. <laughs> yeah. And, the way that they animated her is they gave her arms, but the arms are just gigantic oversized sleeves with no hands at the end. Oh, okay. it's awesome. Small Boo has also made a video game. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
called Later Alligator, which is a point and click adventure game set in Alligator, New York City, where an alligator is worried about uh, being bumped off by the mob and you have to detective your way around finding out what's going on. Hmm. Have you played it? I own it, but I haven't actually played it. It's one of those Steam games that you get and then install and then, you know, you never actually get around to playing. <laughs> Point and click adventure. That sounds interesting, though. It is like I've seen I've seen um, bits of it being played like there's, you know, there's ones where you have to go in and like to some guy's cell phone and like delete the right picture to make it work properly or something like I think there's like a haunted picture in his cell phone camera that you have to delete so it'll work huh. again or something like that. It's. Yeah, in inter- it looks like an interesting enough game that I got it, so I'll report back. I'll play it and report back. Okay. So you've gone this far talking about Small Boo. I'm surprised you haven't noted that they've worked on Adventure Time. I forgot, actually. I know they did. <laughs> I, I'm trying to... Oh, they did um, The Grotto. Uh, mm. The other... Yes, I did see that. I remember mm. that now. I... I remember looking that up and going, what, what did they do? And I, I looked up the episode and it's this episode where, um, Finn and Jake go down the, uh, the lake or the pond where mermaids live or water nymphs, rather water nymphs mm-hmm. live outside their house and they, uh, go down into an alternate dimension. And that whole ultimate dimension is animated by small boo. Hmm. It's a later episode, I think, but I like that bit where, uh, Jake is laughing at his own joke that he tells <laughs> of the water nymphs and he's laughing later in the episode. Yeah. <laughs> he's still, yeah. Anyway, this is pretty good. I guess if you, if anybody out there wants to give Batman Piderman a try, the first episodes are like a minute long. So. Oh, if that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It tells us like these episodes are definitely episodic. Like they, yeah. there's continuity between them, um, hmm. but really good animation and really good gags. Did you see the Christmas one? Uh, I did not check it um, out. Friends. I can't remember what it's called. It's something about Mary Friends or something like that. I checked out maybe six episodes, the first ones, and then I did uh, the episode after Ghost Night. Mm, mm, okay. Apparently there's Ghost Night 2. I've seen them all. I just don't necessarily remember them all. Mm. But I know I saw the title Ghost Night 2. Uh, these mm. are worth looking out, checking out, but you will need context. <laughs> or just do it like me. Just like, ah, there's a tentacle monster. Is that a ghost? No, I guess it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, gee, that was scary. And it's not even mm. Halloween yet. Next week is Halloween. So we have to get even scarier. Oh, I'm, I'm scared of these cartoons, Micah. I couldn't hear you over my knees knocking. <laughs> All right. So here we're going to do like just specials like animated you get a full episodes yeah and for you micah okay the classic i guess halloween is grinch night oh okay (laughs) i thought you're gonna set me up and actually give me garfield (laughs) 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 we were talking about that earlier our hatred of garfield (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay halloween is grinch night yeah. Okay. Uh, I went with something that's just spoopy and not necessarily Halloween themed. <laughs> In fact, a couple weeks ago, I threw a boomerang and it's come right back with another real Ghostbusters episode. Oh. I even mentioned it. 
Knock Knock is what I'd like you to check oh, out. Oh, okay. This will give me some closure. <laughs> this is the one that you think is the best, huh? Uh, It's at least good. Okay. Fair enough. Well, there we go. Halloween is Grinch Night and more Ghostbusters. So, until we get to that next time, make sure to tweet at us. You can send us your Halloween costume if you want. We won't laugh at it too much. Um, you can send us cartoons to review because, you know, we have demonstrated that we will do it. Um, but to do that, you'll need the Twitter address. Mine is AC Matsy. And I am at DrabSwatch on Twitter. So make sure to tweet because we'll pick one listener to come to the Animation Celery Studio to delve into a kiddie pool full of cold, sloppy baked beans in search of the Celery Stalker slogan... Now, I've got to give an interesting old lady a manicure, but I'll be back before you're done. We will not actually pick somebody to come and slop around in baked beans.